0: Georgia leaders take a pass on Donald Trump. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein,
1: And I'm Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. And be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And be sure to rate us and review us while you're there because it really helps us grow the show.
0: Patricia, it feels like this has been an unusually long week. I can't wait for the weekend. We've got Bruce Springsteen tickets, hopefully, that will pan out. And a lot of other things planned for the weekend. I hope you get some rest and get to sleep in past 3.30 a.m.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm sure someone will wake me up at (laughs) 4. But, no, yeah, well, my sister's going to Bruce Springsteen. I'm very excited for her. And then we are starting baseball season and okay, here's some breaking news. I ha- I used to be a big horseback rider and I really stopped after I got pregnant because obviously you don't want to ride when you're pregnant. And then once I had kids, I'm like, God, I just do not have time to go for four hours and just go riding. And this Sunday, um, Harper and I are taking, she's been riding for quite some time now, yeah. but we're taking our first riding lesson together. So it'll be my first time back. on. I'm literally getting back on the horse. That's um, awesome. First time in 11 years. So if I if I don't show up on Tuesday, you know what happened, but I'm very excited. So that's going to be like, that's kind of a milestone in my life. I hate to say like, I love riding more than almost anything. And so I'm getting back in the saddle.
0: I love it. So is it like riding a bike to mix metaphors?
1: <laughs> yeah. Except you're just like 10 times the sore. It's, yeah. um, it's, a. That's a steep mountain to climb to get back into <laughs> writing shape, but it's so fun. And we found this great barn out in Milton. So, and it's already my happy place. And I take pictures of all these cute That's horses. That's awesome. I know this horse that Harper rides doesn't have any teeth. So his little tongue just hangs out. It's so cute. I'll, I'll put it on. <laughs> I'll put him on Twitter. He's so cute.
0: At any rate, continue, Greg. I have not been a uh, avid horseback rider, but I've written. I've ridden plenty of times, and even galloped a few times. But definitely not to the degree that you are talking about, where I get lessons and things like that. Um, I. I uh, uh, I was always the camp counselor at Sleepaway Camp that, uh, that made my kids do horseback riding that I always try to find excuses not to. I'm like, you are going on this horse and you're going to like
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that camp like Barney Green Garden or something?
0: Camp Barney Meddance in Cleveland, Georgia, White <laughs> County. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, an, an informal survey that the AJC did of dozens of Republican officials, community leaders, and others uh, about Donald Trump's comeback bid. And we're also going to talk about how the state legislative session is ramping up pretty quickly. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Um, I endeavored on this project after I saw the New York Times did something similar nationally with more than 140 or so national Republican leaders. I said, let's do this in Georgia. So I reached out to more than 60 Republican figures. We're talking elected officials, community activists, local GOP chairs, prominent members and former members of uh, leaders of Georgia GOP groups and members of the state GOP committee. And I heard back from probably more than half of them. I heard back from dozens. And I'll tell you this. It was hard-pressed to find anyone who was openly endorsing Donald Trump. Many of them stressed that, hey, you know, he's still the party's front runner. But they expressed grave fears about his ability to win over swing voters in a state like Georgia, where, as we know, independent voters played a decisive role. Most of them said they'd still back Donald Trump if he wins the nomination but they were very enthusiastic about an alternative who they believe could be a stronger rival to president Biden and they were worried about the ongoing investigations including in Fulton County that could lead to criminal charges against Trump and his allies uh they wanted a, fr- a lot of them wanted a competitive open primary and a, and a fresh face the lead quote i used in the story was from Colt Chambers who is the former chair of the Georgia Young Republicans and his quote was, he has done enough damage to our party and country post-presidency. There's a good chance he could win the primary, but quite frankly, there's no way he could win the general. We know this from the many lost races in 2022 by candidates that President Trump endorsed. So that was just one of many, many quotes I had in this story from Republican you know, senior officials, leaders, former congressmen, current elected officials who just cast doubt about whether his comeback bid will actually yield any fruit for the GOP.
1: Yeah, you know, we have heard GOP officials frequently, maybe even since 2015, when Trump started talking about running for president, um, that they were concerned about Trump, that they weren't crazy about him. They maybe even had some serious concerns or did not want to back him, but they would almost never go on the record. They did not want Donald Trump to see their name associated with that and then start to pound them and really punish them. And in some cases, as has happened to many Republicans, just drive them out of the party, drive them out of their own jobs because they have the gall to go up against Donald Trump. That is just not the case in this story that you produced. And it, it the quotes in here are unbelievable. And there's one that I have to read back to you because... It's incredible. And it's on the record. It's from John Watson, who's a former chairman of the state GOP. Many people very, very well uh, aware of Watson know exactly who he is. He said, uh, Americans deserve a White House that's not a memory care home or a three ring circus. He was talking there about not just Trump's sort of the chaos that typically surrounds him, but also he's just old. And there's concern that if you put Donald Trump up against Joe Biden, you've got uh, one old guy going up and against another old guy. Mm-hmm. And so you had somebody else. This one was not on the record, but just saying we just can't have any more delusional candidates. Uh, this, These are not the comments that people used to tell reporters with the recorders going or, you know, put in writing. And so it just feels like a really different day here in Georgia with Republicans. Trump has proven that you he he's not gonna drive you out of the party. You he can even endorse you and that's just not gonna make one bit of difference. It might even hurt you. And so I think people are seeing the fear was always, what is this gonna do to my own chances of re-election for almost all of those Republicans who would not go on the record? Now your chances of re-election are are pretty much unchanged, no matter what you do with Donald Trump. It might even be strengthened as Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensberger. Proved. And so this but just to see these names on paper with these quotes was really, really incredible. And so I would um, recommend that anybody take a look at it. Some of them are also extremely entertaining. And <laughs> anybody who anybody who's had their doubts about Donald Trump will really see their voices reflected in this article.
0: And the interesting thing is, you're right, it used to be these the, all these folks, we'd hear from them, but they'd go on background or they'd say it off, the record does, oh, this is a nightmare. But on the record, they'd say nothing or they'd you know, vo- vouch for Donald Trump because they were worried about that tweet. And every single quote in this story was on the record. And even that delusional one, it was Tom Pounds, who is a member of the Georgia GOP State Committee and also a former county chair of Dade County, but he said about Trump. I believe he's delusional about the election being stolen from him. I hope and pray the Republican Party nominates a candidate that I can truly support. He said that it was the uh, the violent mob that attacked the Capitol on January 6th that, that really sealed his disdain for Trump. That was the day that he knew he can't support Trump ever again. To me, though, Patricia, one of the interesting things was I also polled every state elected Republican yes, official. absolutely. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast about how Governor Kemp kept this sort of arm's length approach. He wasn't going to say anything negative about Donald Trump doing the campaign. He, he couldn't risk dividing the Republican party, even as Donald Trump was calling him all sorts of names and saying he was, you know, <laughs> a rhino and all these other things. Um, but of course now the election's behind him. And now we see Brian Kemp is one of many national Republican figures who are inhabiting this, this not Trump lane nationally. And of course, locally here in Georgia too. well, You know, Governor Kemp, he further distanced himself from the former president. He told the AJC he expects, quote, a wide open primary that showcases the successes of Republican governors and the work of other conservative leaders. He also added that basically to beat Joe Biden, quote, we must have a Republican nominee in 2024 who can win the general election. So that is clearly taking the view of the electability, not the, you know, not the moving to the far right not to moving to the party's polls, but essentially trying to model the pattern that he helped set in Georgia by winning a significant number of independent middle-of-the-road swing voters um, you know, that we saw were really decisive, not just in his race, but of course in the U.S. Senate contest as well.
1: Yeah. And you know, Ralph Reed has also spoken on this topic recently as well. And he was asked specifically about evangelical voters? And do they still support Donald Trump in the same way that they have over the last four to six years? And he said, it's not a lock anymore, that it certainly used to be and that people, you know, like the Trump policies, but they in some cases, they just don't like Donald Trump. Uh, He said, but listen, this is a wide open field and people have to compete for people's votes. And he actually pointed to Mike Pence as somebody who has always connected extremely well with the evangelical base, doesn't have to try. He just does because that's really who he is. And that was one way of saying, and by the way, that's not Donald Trump's situation. He does have to try. It's not who he is. Also, quoted in your story or asked you know people you reached out to in your story that I thought were especially relevant were Burt Jones and Kelly Leffler the lieutenant governor and the former US senator both of whom have been endorsed by Donald Trump in the past and I mean, they had to work for those endorsements. Yeah. Burt Jones was went down to Mar-a-Lago many times before he was endorsed. Kelly Loeffler had to really work it to win over Donald Trump with, I mean, constant, almost a this constant charm offense of getting other Republicans to go to him and say, you really need to endorse Kelly Loeffler. This is after she had already been appointed to the U.S. Senate. And then she threw out that entire election challenge. You could just feel this anxiety inside her campaign that if she didn't do and wasn't doing what Trump wanted her to be doing between those, those weeks of when the election in November was over and her runoff in January, you could just, you could just feel the anxiety in the air. They were just very, very concerned that Trump might come out and say something against her if she wasn't doing what they wanted her to be doing down in Mar-a-Lago. And in this piece she declined to endorse trump and Bert jones also declined to endorse trump and they both were talking about you know we'll you know uh look forward to an open primary process that is incredibly relevant when donald trump is reading quotes like that associated with names people who he has considered to be on his team in the past that matters a lot so those answers were not given without thorough consideration from both of those uh, georgians leffler and jones who we Assume both want to be running statewide in the future here in the state.
0: Something to remember, too. Really, few, if any, folks that I talk to, um, and there's many more that I didn't quote, th- few of them are dismissing Donald Trump, right? Nor are they minimizing his advantages. He has the largest fundraising apparatus. Of course, he has name recognition. And our AJC poll showed that nearly three quarters of Georgia Republicans still have a positive view of Donald Trump. That's slightly higher That's than, a lot. yeah, of. Governor DeSantis in Florida and far surpassing former Vice President Mike Pence's favorability rating. So he comes in with these key advantages, but he also comes in with a load of disadvantages that is going to make his climb uh, that much steeper. And look, he also hasn't cleared the field whatsoever. We know that Nikki Haley is entering the race in a couple of weeks. This is what she had to say.
2: First look at does the current situation push for new leadership the second question is am i that person that could be that new leader you know on the first question you can look all across the board domestic foreign policy you can look at you know inflation going up economy shrinking government getting bigger you know small business owners not being able to pay their rent big businesses getting these these bailouts all of these things warrant the fact that yes we need to go in a new direction and can i be that leader yes i think i can be that leader
1: so unlike Donald Trump, if you ask Georgia Republicans about Nikki Haley, you'll get some fo- some positive feedback because she has been here to this state many times for other Republicans. She came in to campaign for Brian Kemp several times campaigned for Herschel Walker, several times. It's interesting. She was able to keep a foot in both of those camps without really getting crosswise with with any of them. She was close with Kelly Leffler. She has done a lot for Republicans all over the country. And when we were starting to see her so many times in 2022, it really did start to feel like, okay, this is all leading somewhere very specific and it's a campaign for Nikki Haley. She has in every event talked about her own kind of foreign policy experience, talking about being the ambassador to the UN, talking about how important it is for the United States to be strong overseas, et cetera, et cetera. So she was always sort of infusing pieces of her own biography to connect herself to the people she was endorsing. And I mean, she was here. She was a frequent flyer in Georgia, I got to tell you. So I'm not at all surprised that she's running for president for that reason alone. And I think that she'll she'll have some fans in Georgia among these Republicans who are looking for somebody else to get behind. They're not going to make decisions right away, although there is always a big prize if you back somebody early and they end up winning. But they're going to have a lot of choices. And I think Nikki Haley will be far, far more palatable for georgia republicans who say they want donald trump policies without donald trump um she's going to be the flavor that some of them are going to be going for even or especially not donald trump
0: and others will go for desantis others will go for maybe former vice president mike pence if he runs tim scott was also a name that came up continually in my conversations with republican activists in particular so look, there's going to be some options. There's going to be a very competitive primary. Pretty much everyone, everyone I interviewed acknowledged that, hey, this is not going to be a coronation. No one's ready to crown Donald Trump just yet. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we're not only your two hosts for the Politically Georgia podcast, we're also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's that com slash podcasts, so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, not only is the 2024 race just starting to heat up a little bit, but the state legislature is as well after a kind of a slow start with speeches and budget talks and all that. Not that it's not important, but now we're still starting to see the real start of debates over some of the key issues that we've been talking about for so long. We have bills over sports betting, healthcare, criminal justice policies, and other big issues on the legislative agenda. What are you most closely watching?
1: So we're definitely watching sports betting. I think that is this perennial issue that we hear every year. This is gonna be the year that sports betting gets across the finish line. They're gonna somehow make that legal here in Georgia as it is in more than 30 other states. However, it always gets bogged down by additions from casinos or from lobbyists for paramutual betting. However, this year feels a little bit different because Justice Harris Melton has come out with an opinion laying out kind of the groundwork and the path that the General Assembly could pass Bill to legalize sports betting with a simple majority instead of amending the Georgia Constitution, which requires a two-thirds vote and then a referendum from voters after that. It's just a multi-step process that has a much higher bar because that opinion is out there. I've been hearing about that opinion from Melton just in kind of chatter around the hallways in the Capitol. I'll say what's going to happen on sports betting and um, back to me, people will say, well, can't you do it without a constitutional amendment now? Didn't Melton say that? So it's really gotten into the conversation. It's definitely in the ether up there. So that's something that use, that's got early legs. Sometimes it doesn't even, sometimes it has late legs, but it feels like it has early legs and we'll have to see what happens with it because already there has been a bill introduced to have both sports betting and Horse racing that is not technically paramutual betting. Get out your dictionary to figure out the difference between paramutual and fixed odds. Horse racing. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> they say you can do it, but it gets a lot more complicated. Um, so sports betting is definitely something. Obviously, they have moved the mid-year state budget through the state house that happened at the end of the week this week. And those are the types of budget bills that James Salzer, our money man at the AJC, gets way deep in the weeds on. I myself do not get as deep in the weeds on the math of this. <laughs> However, um that's one of the big issues that's going through. Those always come through early because it's the only thing the legislature really has to do. And we and like then to say other that bills- James...
0: We like to say that James knows more about the budget than many of the lawmakers who are voting on it. So, Patricia, we are not 100%. alone in not, not knowing as much about the budget as our expert James Salzer does.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. Other issues, I think we're just going to start watching the floor, but we'll watch the floor more carefully because up to this point, it has been a lot of resolutions and a lot of crickets. It's sort of been an early gavel out to like, okay, uh, no objections, uh, so ordered, we're out of here. Now these days are starting to get longer. They're actually passing bills. They are introducing bills that are getting our attention, including a bill to put Clarence Thomas's statue on the statehouse grounds, that was a real controversy last year. It looks like it's coming back again this year. So things are picking up. You know, we knew that it was sort of the calm before the storm. And I would say now, it's not a storm, but, you know, we've sure got the winds blowing right now, and which is good to see because you want things to be happening down there.
0: <laughs> yeah, because you're not just down there to gavel in and gavel out, which is what they did for a couple of the first days. But you're right. We have the sports betting legislation, finally, that will start getting debated we have the Clarence Thomas statute bill that came up last year. It was the subject of, of very intense debate in the Senate. It's back again in the Senate. It could pass this year. We'll see. It has a lot of support from Republican lawmakers in both chambers. So we'll see if it, if it passes the Senate and gets a vote in the state house. We also have some really important criminal justice and healthcare bills. One bill that popped up this week would... Uh, Republican leaders proposed a bill that they hope will lead to a state takeover of the health insurance exchange here in Georgia. So that will be the center of a lot of debate as well. And then on the criminal justice front, we know that Governor Camp, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, Speaker John Burns and other Republican leaders have made criminal justice and law and order a really big part of their agendas. But there is a specific bill that just popped up on Thursday that could mean that Georgia prosecutors face new oversight under a measure that we know that Governor Kemp has voiced support for in the past, so has Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones. This would create a new oversight commission for prosecutors who, you know, are deemed to be uh, acting without urgency to bring important cases, engaged in moral turpitude, all these different uh, criteria. <laughs> yeah, turpitude. It's a good word. But all <laughs> these different criteria that this bill sets out, they essentially could lead to prosecutors being ousted from their offices without absent uh, criminal action is a good way to put it and i i expect those bills to be moving really quickly through the georgia legislature um, yeah. so we'll see
1: i would also say we definitely know more criminal justice bills are going to be coming that has been a very clear priority of um the governor and the lieutenant governor and even the mayor of atlanta we've heard quite a bit about um sort of their focus on public safety. Fonnie Willis is also weighed in on some of these public safety measures. So those are bills also that get a really heavy read and very specific treatment in committees. So these start to go to committees and some of them can be different once they come out of committees. I'll send our audience to the Jolt every morning. We will include bills that are popping up, um, something either that's newly introduced and worth your attention, something that is on the move and worth your attention if it's up for a vote or if it gets passed by the Senate and it's heading over to the House or vice versa. There are way too many bills to tell you every single one that's um, down there. Also, the vast majority are never going to pass, but we want to make sure people feel plugged into the bills worth spending their time on and worth paying attention to. For anybody who wants to get deep in the weeds, and I mean deep in the the weeds. We have something called the AJC Legislative Navigator. That is a list of every bill that has been introduced in it has the legislative history, it has the sponsor, it has a link over to who the sponsor is, other bills they've sponsored, what committee it's been assigned to. So we have all of that information for our audience at the ajc.com. You just have to go into Legislative Navigator and um just poke around and you will see it is just reams and reams of information for the truly interested for the slightly more busy and a little bit less interested, but still want to keep tabs on it, just follow the jolt and come back to the AJC because we have our State House team and our State Senate team. I mean, we've got a lot of people down at the Capitol covering all this stuff, so we'll have updates pretty consistently throughout the day as well.
0: Okay, Patricia, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, it was, I was all kidding. pretty insightful, don't you think, um, Shane? I'm sure I'm,
2: I'm still processing the <laughs> profound wisdom
1: uh, <laughs> i talked about the legislative navigator and how you can nice. choose okay. your own adventure at the ajc go for a deep dive go for just the dip okay you know gotcha. just a dip cool. and the jolt
0: we'll go, we'll go to the next segment now
1: <laughs> let's let our
0: audience know out a little thing that's happening behind the scenes i often as we all know uh tape the show from my car well this time my car decided to just kind of up and kaput and so in between all this triple a is coming i have to say triple <laughs> a has come and they are helping me figure out whatever the heck, hell is going on with my car um so we've been in and out of this podcast and cheney b and patricia murphy have been great we've uh, been awesome with patience. <laughs> They've been <great> patience. <laughs> so let's get to the our, one of our favorite segments of the show the listener mailbag which you can now call in to the hotline anytime Leave a question and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770 810 5297. That's 770 810 5297. Producer Shaney B is standing by. And, uh, you know, that is not the number for AAA, which I also had to call it in the middle of the show. So,
2: <laughs> Greg, I, I'm almost tempted to have you roll down your window, stick out your microphone, and ask the AAA guy. To lead us off in a live version of Listener Mailbag
0: today. He did ask me what I'm doing in the car. I'm like, I'm taping a podcast. He goes, what kind of podcast? Braves? I said, no, not Braves. Politics. He goes, nah. <laughs> so oh. he, is yeah. not a, he is not a subscriber, but I know we have plenty of loyal subscribers because the coffee shop I was just at, two people came up and said how much they love the podcast. So
1: <laughs> yeah, they nice. they can see me right now. You can't well, win them well, all, Greg. Can't win them all. I say honk the all.
0: horn
2: and see if he jumps and hits his head on the hood.
0: Yeah, he's he's literally in under the hood right now. I'm looking at him, so no, I will not do that. Yeah, we want to stay on his what, good side. Yes, I need, I need this. Well. B., what is our first question? <laughs> Let's start off
2: with Meg from Smyrna. She has a question about Governor Brian Kemp maybe becoming a president, Brian Kemp? Ooh. My question is, when are you
1: going to mention that Brian Kemp is being courted for a possible presidential candidate this was I've seen it in two places one is floridapolitics.com from this year january 2023 and also jonathan alter was talking about it on the bulwark on january 25th 2023 so uh there's a lot of talk about camp running so Let's hear from you. What do you have to say about it? Well, Meg, great question. You could also see that at AJC.com because we have definitely picked up on the chatter of other people talking about Brian Kemp possibly being a presidential candidate. I think early in this process, we said he might be a sought-after surrogate. And as time has gone on, he has started to be actually talked about as a potential candidate candidate. Um, Amy Walter in the Cook Political Report is one of um, the top names I'll put out there who has said that she could see him running for president or see him being a really viable candidate. Also, our friend Ed Kilgore, who writes for New York Magazine, has also talked about the potential um, sense that it makes for Brian Kemp to run for president. So the, the conversation is definitely out there. And it's not just because um, Brian Kemp just won his Re election by really large margins. It's also because Kemp himself has taken some steps to broaden his own national profile. So he has transitioned his state campaign into a federal election apparatus. It's not necessarily to run for president, but this is a federal facing election apparatus so that he can support other candidates for Senate, support other candidates for president. Also, I think going to Davos is not the type of thing that most. People with no aspirations to ever do anything again, and <laughs> to do that is really a way for uh, Governor Kemp to continue to strengthen his ties and the state's ties with international leaders, but also to get himself overseas and start to sort of move around in those spaces. So, you know, we don't have any specific reporting that Brian Kemp is running for president, but his national profile is 100% on the rise. And it's not just the AJC and Florida.com who think so.
0: Yeah, good question. And I'm I'm glad you brought it up, too. I'll echo everything Patricia said. But look, you know, have we heard from his aides from people very close to him that he's actually seriously considering running for president? No. That's why we're treating this with a dose of skepticism. And even the folks who have floated his name acknowledge that, you know, he's not taken any steps towards running for president in the same vein as Mike Pence or DeSantis or obviously Nikki Haley or others who have already gathered teams together, they've already gone to early voting states, um, they've collected a lot of IOUs from, from politicians around the nation. Governor Kemp has not done that, in the, in the same sense at least, right? But I do think he will be floated as a potential running mate for someone running in the non-Trump lane, He will not be Donald Trump's running mate, but he will be uh, discussed as a running mate for Mike Pence or for maybe Nikki Haley or maybe even DeSantis. We'll see. Um, And I do think you're going to see Governor Kemp continue to step out a little bit more. You're going to see him travel the nation. Uh, You're going to see him play a bigger role in the Republican Governors Association. And you will start to hear more about him as a federal candidate, maybe not for president or vice president, but specifically for Senate against John Ossoff in 2026. So. You're going to see his profile continue to rise. Uh, But that's a very good question, Meg. What else we got? Shani B? Next up is a
2: call from John in Cumming, and he has a question about the DNC and moving up primary dates. Do you think the Biden administration might try to link the selection of Atlanta for the DNC convention to the moving of the presidential primary up in Georgia? And do you think the Republicans might agree with that for the economic benefit the convention would bring to Atlanta, as long as they don't cut delegates from the RNC?
0: John, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I haven't gotten the sense yet that they're going to be inextricably linked. Obviously, Joe Biden hasn't picked Atlanta yet. You know, Atlanta is in the running with Chicago, is the real uh, real rival here, but New York is still being floated. Um, but picking Atlanta is sort of, for the DNC, is sort of the easy part, Right. Uh, it's it's a huge endeavor and it's going to be a major event if Atlanta gets it. But that wouldn't require all sorts of approvals from, you know, Republicans and the RNC and all that, like moving the primary early would. Moving the primary early would require Secretary of State Brad Raffensberger sign off. So it can't be a unilateral decision. And so far, he's been unwilling to do that uh, as long as it could jeopardize delegates. And so basically, he needs the RNC sign off. And without a Republican like Governor Kemp or other Republicans going to say, hey, this is something we need, it's really an uphill battle for Democrats at this stage. They've gotten an extension from Demo- National Democratic Party. Uh, they've got a little bit more time to play with than they did. You know, it was supposed to happen, you know, uh, this week was supposed to be the final vote on this. And now they've got a little bit more time um, to hash out how this could work. But you're right. It's going to be an economic boon if the state gets DNC, it also would be an economic boon if the state it gets an earlier primary because it'd mean be more attention and more travel. I have no idea how much. There's been different studies over the years that say it could be tens of millions of dollars, even more if you're a state like Iowa where, you know, you had a ton of national attention. But again, it's, it's really looking tough right now for Georgia to be an early primary state. It is not looking nearly as big of a haul. Uh, I'll say that uh, the Democrats I talk to nationally and locally are very optimistic about Atlanta's chances of nabbing the DNC.
1: Yes. And I will just uh, recount something that a Republican said to me who was, you know, quite close to the process that would be required to get um, to move up Georgia's primaries. And the question is, he said, why would we do Joe Biden a favor? You know? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Why would you? The answer is they wouldn't. They don't feel like it. They don't have to. And that's kind of where the conversation starts and stops. It's a totally different situation when it comes to where the Democrats choose to put their convention because that is essentially one man's decision. That is Joe Biden's decision. He makes the final call and Joe Biden has already signaled that he wants to elevate Georgia in some way. He wants to put a focus on this state. He wants to reward the people in the state for supporting him. Uh, moving the primary up was his suggestion and it was his idea and recommendation. That's just going to require the help of a lot of people that he doesn't control. However, if he also wanted to elevate Georgia in a similar way and he can't do it through the primary, he definitely can do it with the convention. And so, you know, Joe Biden is human, just like anybody else. And so if Georgia doesn't get the one thing he wanted to give them, you know, he could give them the other thing that he wanted to give them. So I think I do think that Georgia has just an unusually strong chance of getting this convention the next time around.
0: And I think we should hear fairly soon. We've been saying that for a while, but um, with the state of the union coming up and then followed by perhaps a formal announcement that he's running for a second term, That's when we could also, you know, really start hearing more about the DNC, but we will see. Okay, Shaney B, our final segment, our who's up, who's down. We always love ending on a positive note. So Patricia, let's start with you. Who's your who's down for the week?
1: (laughs) So, Greg, my who's down for the week is Kelly Loeffler, former senator. There was an incredibly awkward moment in the state Senate earlier this week when Loeffler had been invited down to the state Senate for a... Resolution to honor her and Greater Georgia for all of the work that they did. She was invited by Lieutenant Governor Burke Jones and uh, Senate President Pro Tem John Kennedy, who wrote this beautiful proclamation and um, then invited her to come up and speak uh, at the Diet on the Dais, not from the well where other senators do, but really up from where the Lieutenant Governor <laughs> speaks. Um, so she did. She gave a speech and she said, "You know, thank you to everyone in the." Chamber, no matter who you are, Democrat, Republican, you all work so hard for your constituents, etc. Uh, when the time came to pass her resolution, it was on the calendar to be passed by unanimous consent with a whole list of other non-controversial measures. And very quickly, a Democrat, uh, state senator, Josh McLaurin, used his very first Senate speech to stand up and say, the Democrats are not voting for this. You're gonna have to send this through the rules committee, through regular order. She's a partisan actor. This is a partisan effort. We're not supporting this. You guys have the votes, but you have to do it the hard way and not the easy way. And we're not going to help you honor Kelly Loeffler. Um, I, it felt like her speech was meant to be nonpartisan, but the moment in the chamber really <laughs> was like the needle on the record. And it really changed the uh, changed the feeling down there. And um, she had absolutely run, started and essentially paid for the effort to elect Republicans to the state Senate. She gave money to almost every single state Republican senator down there. And so she's definitely a partisan actor. But this moment that was meant to be kind of, you know, kind of a layup is going to end up having to be a three point shot.
0: Yeah, this is something that Democrats planned out. I I saw um, Senator Josh McLaurin tweeted stay tuned for some action on the floor. So, um, you know, look, even they're in the minority, they can still make life difficult for the ruling Republicans. My who's down for the week is a little bit of a mix because it's it's Johnny Chastain. And he won this huge upset victory over uh, the wife of the late House Speaker David Ralston, Cherie Ralston, who had a lot of advantages, including a fundraising edge, the endorsements of both Governor Kemp and former Governor Nathan Deal and, you know, a lot of establishment support. Johnny Chastain won, and he won a a, a big upset. But, you know, in his victory speech, there was this moment where he, and he didn't need to, and he he ran a positive campaign throughout, but he brought up the late speaker. And he basically said the speaker got, and, and this is his quote, quote, he got too busy, he forgot, he basically couldn't represent us. He got hard to reach. And... Those words were, I, I i reported, you know, a story of how he won and I included that quote in there and I've gotten dozens of, of messages and texts and calls and the like from different Republicans saying, I can't believe he did that. It, you know, it was in a moment of probably euphoria for him. He was winning. He had no scripted speech. This isn't something that he went out of his way to say, but it was not quite the way he probably wanted to enter his special election victory with saying those words about the laid off speaker. So he gets a mix. He has up by winning an upset victory, but a down by making those remarks.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, I, I think it's hard for people to remember when they're in their districts that this news is read very carefully and reports are read very carefully at the state Capitol. People read those words and they remember them and Ralston um, was really beloved in that chamber by his own Republicans almost universally, not completely, because not everybody is universally loved, but a lot of respect for him in the chamber. And you, it Chastain, to, to your point did not need to say that he had already won. So I think that's something he will, you know, he's going to have to sort of work through with his new colleagues when he gets to Atlanta very, very shortly. Um, and Greg, is it time for our who's up?
0: Patricia, who's your who's up for the week?
1: Greg, I had one who's up planned, but I have actually made a game day decision. And my who's up for the week is AAA for coming to rescue you (laughs) during this podcast. (laughs) Over the course of this podcast, your car literally broke down. You called AAA during our break and then AAA had already shown up and fixed your car by the time we're done here. And I think I'm going to go join AAA. I'm very impressed with the service. I didn't
0: even know I was a member until I had to call my wife and she reminded me, yeah, we, we still pay for it. Um, there, I'll say, there's still a lot of lights that I don't understand that are okay. <laughs> they're blinking Maybe on, it's my, not on my But they got me a new battery in minutes and it said it was <laughs> they were going to take two hours and they came here in about 20. So yay for AAA. Um, well, you took one of my who's up. I'll, I'll also say my who's up <laughs> is the state of city-state relations in Atlanta, in Georgia, you know, they were at a moment of, speaking of cars, they were a moment of disrepair not so long ago. And just this week, we we, and we talked about it in our last episode, but uh, things are looking better for city-state relations between not just Governor Kemp and Andre Dickens, the mayor of Atlanta, but also in general between the aides and allies to the governor and the aides and allies to Mayor Dickens. And to kind of put an exclamation mark on that, we had a number of corporate leaders put out a very long statement Today about about a year after Andre Dickens took office, saying how uh, enthusiastic they are to see better relations between City Hall and the Gold Dome. Okay, that is all we have for today's very dramatic show. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC.